Welcome back to Inspiring Neighbors Podcast, where we showcase seemingly ordinary people with extraordinary stories. In today's episode, we got a bit of a two-for-one by focusing on an initiative rather than a specific neighbor. Uh, but this is awesome initiative called Unlikely Friends, where the, what they uh, focus on is capturing commonality one conversation at a time, which basically is focused around having people be able to have conversations that help them to connect. And uh, I guess started here in Calgary by a group of people that realized they had common interests and complementary talents and are making this happen. And in this conversation, we also talked about how that intersects with an event called Empathy Week that both you and I, Trevor, had not heard about before. So this is a great yeah. platform. Hopefully we get we, not just ourselves to participate, but I think other people will also find it interesting that this is happening. Um, and we just really dove into the topic of empathy as a result of all this. Yeah, it was very awesome. I felt like, well, they narrowed us down to 60 minutes. They said, you can't <laughs> have more than 60 minutes with us. <laughs> So now I'm talking to celebrities. I have a 60-minute window. <laughs> Pressure's and they're on. both so powerful. Yeah. I love the initiative, this project that they've started. Like you said, I had no idea Empathy Week existed. And it's an entire week surrounding the topic of empathy. I said it during the interview, but like it's amazing the things people are working on that you have no idea about. Yeah. And inspiring. Yes. <laughs> inspiring definitely. to see that these things are out there and, and people are actually like kind of doing stuff to make things better. Yeah. I learned so much about empathy. I learned so much about the both of them and and just creating comfortable, safe places for people to get to know each other on a deep level. So without further ado, please enjoy Gayatri Shukla and Anshu Steven. Let's talk to our neighbors. Because everyone can inspire the Inspiring Neighbors Podcast Lightyear Fire. Welcome, Anshu and Gayatri. We are, this has been a long time coming. I've been messaging Gayatri basically since we started this podcast. <laughs> She's been on the top of my list to get, get her on. And um, I'm so grateful that she suggested we get both her and Anshu on to talk about something really amazing. I'm so excited to hear about Unlikely Friends and Empathy Week. So Anshu and Gayatri, you guys have both, um, they've come together to create something called Unlikely Friends. And this is part of something else called Empathy Week. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So maybe Anshu, do you want to quickly tell us what is Empathy Week? Yeah, for sure. So Empathy Week has been happening in Calgary for about six years. And so Himenology oh, wow. had been, yeah, doing it for, for a few years. And so last year they asked us if they want if we wanted to take it on, the team of unlikely friends. And so we said, yeah, um, we'll continue to work. And so we've taken it on this year and we've got some amazing programming happening. So it always happens around the same time every year. So it's June 1st to June 7th. It's about a week-long festival. And it's really just about people being able to come out and just connect with each other and hear each other's stories and, um, yeah, just take away some practical tools that we can around empathy that and so we've got all this programming happening. So we've got Conversation Cafe where people can come and practice empathetic questioning and empathetic listening, um, which is really cool. We get to do that with um, Calgary on Purpose. So we're just trying to incorporate and really build on community leaders that are already doing empathy work and just like highlight that. And 
uh, keep building into it. We've got a pottery class around empathy. We've got Absolutely. an interactive event where people get to just go. Uh, it's almost like a speaker's corner where they get to go share uh, things about themselves and hear about others and um, that kind of thing. We've got a puppet show happening for the families. We've got Gay History Walk. We've got um, Diet Three's book reading, Landed, a beautiful book that she wrote. And wow. um, yeah, and then we've got a webinar happening so we've done in-person events we've done online events this year and also self-directed just because we recognize um, the impacts of the pandemic and just being able to meet people exactly where they're at yeah. kind of a thing and yeah we've also got a children's book reading um Magda's lovely mustache and so yeah it's just really exciting stuff and really kind of honored to be working with all these folks that are already doing pretty amazing work oh that sounds amazing yeah, so cool. I feel like I've always like I have a particular link with empathy that it's always struck struck by the need for empathy. And, uh, yeah. you know, sometimes, especially when you get bad news all around, and you're thinking like, the world needs more empathy. And then it's usually like a rant in my head or that I tell someone next to me. <laughs> but yeah. the actual act of making a week happen and organizing events and community building around this, I am so happy that it's happening. And I feel like humble. It's like, oh, yeah, that's that's what you do. You go make things happen to make the world a better place. You don't just <laughs> complain to yourself. <laughs> how did, how did you guys come to this? How did you come to know about Empathy Week and get involved? Well, we, uh, on Likely Friends team, uh, we did our video project last year. And so we did our three episodes and we were able to collaborate with Humanology last year on Empathy Week. And we actually showcased one of our videos um, on on their week-long programming and just talk about things. And so, yeah, that's how it all came about. And Humanology liked our project and liked our team so much that they were like, hey, do you want to take this on? And we're like, all right, we'll do it. So, yeah. Very cool. So is Unlikely Friends, did you two start working on that before it became part of Empathy Week? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Guy3 and I, Guy3, me and you have, we've known each other now for what, two, three years? Two How long years. Has it been? Yeah. Well, it feels longer for sure. But yeah, two years ago, we started working on Unlikely Friends. Yeah. And so Sh Shannon and Jillian are also two members of our Unlikely Friends team. But we yeah. originally got together because... We each have very complementary skill sets and we were working in different areas. Like I was doing storytelling with Campfire Kinship, um, as you know, Trevor, and I believe yeah. you had been on my one of my IG lives as well before when I used to do IG lives, yeah. um, which I then transitioned into a podcast. So I love that you're doing podcasts because uh, my podcast is heart to heart and hopefully one day I'll be able to invite you again. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to. I was doing that with, uh, you know, Campfire Kinship and, and by myself. And then Anshu was doing her work in trauma-informed coaching. Um, Shannon was doing photography and, and belonging campaigns. And then Jillian was doing videography. So they were all different uh, ways of approaching empathy and, and the work that we wanted to do in the world. So it just made so much sense to come together and, and dream of something even bigger that could pull all of our skill sets. So that's how Unlikely Friends came about. It's so cool to see... The things that are happening that you don't realize are happening. Like, I had no idea there was groups of people developing and educating people on empathy, which I think is a huge task, and I think it's a very important one. Um, hopefully, as we go on in this interview, we can kind of talk about empathy and what it means exactly. But I wanted to ask, unlikely friends, what is, what is unlikely friends? What is the goal of that? 
Yeah, <laughs> I feel like we're still answering that from time to time, and um, and it's changing. It's becoming its own thing too. Like we, I think we all had our vision, and then, um, and then we kind of just let it be with um, folks that we were having come and share in our episodes and things like that, and just mm-hmm. make it their own space. And so it really does come down to capturing commonality in conversations and folks just being able to have vulnerable conversations. So our episodes we had. Um, skateboarding was our first episode where um, we had two skateboarders talk about everything from mental health, from gender in skateboarding, from the love of skateboarding, um, Mm -hmm. all of that. And then our second conversation was around mental health and two different professionals from different um, medical models. So we had a social worker and a nurse uh, come together and talk about mental health and the stigmas and, and things that need to change and things that do work well and all of that good stuff. And so, yeah. And then our third episode was just about our stories, my story, Guy 3's story, Shannon's story, and Jillian's story. And where do people find these? We've got our website, likelyfriends.ca, and we've got a YouTube channel as well. And so they're all in there. And that, one of the interesting things about it, too, is we really tried to think about uh, who are the unlikely friends, right? In terms of people that you may not think instinctively that they share a yeah. lot in common, yeah. but even through differences, if we can find a way to build these bridges towards common ground, like Anshu said, you know, we think that's a powerful way to build empathy. So we would really just look for people who maybe were a little bit uh, nervous about getting in front of the camera, but okay with getting in front of the camera and yeah. in an unscripted way, just uh, enter into a brave conversation uh, around um, you know, a stigma that people don't really talk about or mm-hmm. hesitate from talking about. So the mental health one was such a powerful example of that, where we invited two people, complete strangers. They didn't know who they were going to meet before the, the session was going to be filmed. Um, they didn't really have, I mean, they knew the general sense or they had an idea of what it'll be, but they didn't have the questions beforehand. They didn't really mm-hmm. um, have any kind of script that, you know, they were they were to follow uh, so we invited them. We just made it a safe space for them to share their story and and uh, really through the conversation discover the common common ground, even despite the fact that they came from different backgrounds. So that's wow. been the essence of it. And then yeah, we we do our professional video. Jillian and her studio studio Lumen they take that conversation and they turn it into this beautiful video. And uh, hopefully by sharing that on our YouTube channel, um, the the viewers can sort of see a model for empathy mm-hmm. um, in a really practical way and in a bite-sized way is to, uh, you know, help give them some ideas or inspiration on how to build empathy. So, Wow. That's such a cool idea, just taking two random people and throwing them in a room together. Mm-hmm. Have you considered throwing the skateboarder with the nurse in the same room and having them have a conversation? <laughs> it could be, yeah. Right? It could be interesting. Yeah. My favorite part was like the first five to 10 minutes when there was like that awkwardness when they were getting to know each other, like the awkward yeah. giggles and um, just the conversations. And of course, as being like Albertans, we're always, you know, weather is like the hot topic to sort of break the yeah. ice. <laughs> <laughs> Which we've done already today. Yeah. We talked yeah. about the weather. <laughs> yeah. So Gayatri, you mentioned uh, creating a safe place for the people to have a a good, vulnerable, open, hopefully deep conversation and connect. How do you create that? What's important in setting a safe place to have these conversations? Oh, I love that question. Um, I could probably talk the whole hour on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think it 
it gets to the heart of what I try to do, um, Trevor and Angela, with my work at Camp Perkinship is sort of using storytelling as a very structured, intuitive medium for people to be able to create the conditions of a safe space. And mm -hmm. by that, I mean trust. I think that is a critical condition to have a safe space is to have that mutual sense of trust, even if people don't know each other, maybe they're meeting for the first time, or maybe they know each other, but there's been some history and, and some sort of maybe even um, unconscious biases that they're not even aware that they're coming in with. Yeah. Uh, but how do you still build that mutual trust and mutual respect that even if we don't agree with each other, even if we come from backgrounds where we don't think we share a lot in common, um, we can still have a conversation and know that we can leave that conversation with mutual trust and respect intact. So that is what I see as as a safe conversation and I or a safe space. And I think storytelling really just lends itself so naturally to to creating that. So all of my work has been focused on training people now. And I do a lot of training and workshops around the usage of storytelling in really that strategic way to build that um, safe space and create a culture of trust and inclusion and belonging. Uh, in within an organizational setting. So it's been really interesting because I'm seeing sort of people's interest and gravitation towards storytelling as sort of even a competency, like a business competency that they mm -hmm. think is important in order for their business to succeed. Yeah, definitely. It's amazing. And I see it being so important, even like you mentioned business briefly, but like in a corporation, when you go into a boardroom to have a meeting, I imagine like a five minute storytelling conversation would be a huge way to open up the trust and the vulnerability. And just, I imagine it being so much more productive if we could, if we could convince people to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes the hardest part is convincing, mm -hmm. right? Because I think depending on which business and obviously the company culture that you're with, but it can, it can take a lot for people to feel like it is safe in the first yeah. place to to kind of drop their professional facade and mm -hmm. be okay with leaning into story. And yeah. often I find, you know, for example, oil and gas companies, um, you might've heard of this thing called a safety moment, right? And mm -hmm. the safety moment is such a great entryway into storytelling because um, there's less hesitation there for people to be able to tell a story about something they witnessed or something that happened to them that was potentially unsafe and what they learned from it. And, they're somehow they're they're okay being vulnerable with uh, sharing about safety um, because they don't want to see that same sort of unsafe thing happen again, right? So right. that seems to be a really great entry point. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if we if we get in the habit of that, we can do other uh, call it inclusion and diversity moments or belonging moments or whatever the theme happens to be, and really connected back to their their organizational values. So. You know, mm -hmm. if inclusion is their organizational values, then let's talk about that. Let's talk about how um, share a lived experience example of how that value was demonstrated in action. And yeah. that seems to also be something that uh, people are okay doing and, and okay to drop their guards for a moment and, and lean into that. Yeah, we've talked about this on, with other uh, guests as well as how how quickly it opens the room and you kind of see everybody take a deep breath and relax and now like everybody's welcome everybody can share and yeah it's very opening and like you said it creates a safe place it's it's very powerful is there a 
subtlety or maybe not subtlety is there a way to tell stories that is more conductive to connection rather than separation because uh probably all of us have examples that come to our head if you think of somebody that's always telling stories but it feels like they're always about them and it's hard mm. to connect with that person like maybe because they're telling with an agenda or maybe because they're telling it but you don't feel like you're connecting somehow like maybe they maybe that interacts with empathy how do you see the connection between storytelling and empathy or just general uh better ways to tell stories for that purpose oh totally um that's another topic i think you can spend an hour on <laughs> angela but thank you for that question because i do go through sort of um some i call it community agreements uh, when we when we talk about storytelling and we talk about creating these safe spaces because I think one of the number one conditions, like I said, mutual trust and mutual respect, but I think sometimes these concepts are so abstract that people don't really know how to, um, or maybe they know intuitively, but they don't know how to express that in a practical way. It's like, so how do you actually create that? Yeah. So uh, reciprocity is one of the things that I talk about and I get folks to practice. And the way that it connects with empathy is, you know, when someone's sharing their story, being really able to hold that space to deeply listen and then provide them with feedback that's validating and that's supportive. That is a skill that I think I definitely am. It's like even for me doing this work on as a day job is something that I continue to uh, be learning. Mm -hmm. And so how do, how do we do that in a way that does sort of honor the storyteller and give everyone else the right to to hear their story, right? So that's one of the top things that I think is important. And then there's also this idea of conversational turn-taking. So I go through this method where we uh, have, again, that structured way to say, okay, you know, um, everybody needs to have equal turn in, in sharing. So sometimes we get into spaces where there, there might be one person that's the extrovert that tends to kind of dominate the conversation, whereas the introvert doesn't really want to pipe in or, or just need some more time to think about what they want to share. And so how do we not create the condition where it's just one person doing all the talking and the others don't get a chance to express, right? So yeah. um, this idea of equality and belonging is something that I touch on quite a bit too, because I think when when everybody knows that they're, they're equal, um, that, you know, all of these social hierarchies that we've established in the outside world can kind of rest for a moment because yeah. when you're here, you're all truly equal. Mm -hmm. um, that lets people open up as well. I can see it being so powerful. What is empathy? Like, how do we define empathy? Yeah, there's so many ways to go about it. And I think it can look um, different on our own sort of lived experiences and where we're at in our own journey. And uh, and honestly, where we're at with our own healing work as well. Um, but I think the big piece is being able to step out of ourselves and just step into someone else's perspective, even just for a little bit. Um, right. cause of course we can't walk someone else's journey. We can't quite, um, completely understand someone else's journey, but that effort to just, um, God, you touched on us on this a lot, but just that listening piece and just being able to step in, just step out of our perspective and into another and genuinely just kind of stay in there, uh, for a little bit, um, mm -hmm. and take that in. I think that's the big piece. So just, yeah. And I think another big piece is to believe them. Right. I think right. sometimes that's a piece that's missing where 
we listen um, and we step in, uh, but we we sort of have our own judgments, our own biases, our own um, sort of psychological noise that gets in the way of it all. Mm-hmm. But just just believe and just listen and just be there uh, without any solutions, without any judgments, um, without any of our own own stuff. Yeah. yeah. And that's hard to do. I, I feel like for me, I won't speak to everybody, but I'll say for me, it's very quick to be the problem solver. If somebody is, is opening up to me and maybe they're having a bad day or whatever, the first thing I hear, even though they don't say it, is can you help me figure this mm-hmm. out? Usually they're not saying, can you help me? They're just saying, this is what happened. Can you hear me? Yeah. And I think it's so important to to show people that you can be empathetic without solving a problem. Mm-hmm. And both are important. Yeah. I do it with my, like, I, you said, believe somebody. Mm-hmm. A few months ago, somebody for the first, like the first time I heard it was somebody told me, if your kid's coming to you with a problem, it's so powerful to just say, I believe you. Because we're so quick to jump to, again, problem solving or even, no, that didn't really happen. A four-year-old tells you a story half the time. <laughs> it didn't happen. But in their head, it did. Mm-hmm. And even just saying, I believe you. Or I believe you feel that way. Mm-hmm. Very cool yeah. work that you guys do. And Trevor, like, a lot of times I think we do it because we're trying to comfort. We're trying, like, it's all good and well-intentioned, right? But yes. I think it ultimately can cause that harm that we don't even recognize. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, just saying, I believe you and, and that's enough. Yeah, for me, it's usually been easy enough for me to like imagine what it would be like to be in somebody's situation. And then because that certain level of that comes naturally and easy, then I think that that's that's what I need to do. But then more recently, I started to find ways that I like, I can't even imagine what this person is thinking or how they would come to this conclusion. And mm-hmm. then I think that's where the real challenge is that, that maybe at some point to believe them like, okay, like believe that there's a reason at least why they got there, even if I can't get there through my own experience and my own mm-hmm. conclusions. Yeah. I love that. So I mentioned for me, it's a lifelong journey because I think, you know, Trevor, you may relate to this as an engineer. I have been trained to problem solve right? To look for risk, to look for issues and, and jump in there and find solutions. And so yeah. there's a lot of uh, even learning that I, I'm, I'm constantly doing, but this idea of people need to be heard first before they are open enough uh, or will be conducive to problem solving is the idea behind empathy, right? It's not that, uh, you know, you hear someone's story and you just walk away and nothing happens. We do, we do need action as well. And mm-hmm. to happen after you kind of you you gather these sort of pain points mm-hmm. that people have, but the first step really is the believing part and just creating that space to hear them out. So um, it's hard. It's it's really easy to jump into problem solving, right? But yeah, uh, to hold that space for someone just to to hear them and to believe them, and then be able to step into okay, how can I help you? It is sort of the pathway that I think we all can embrace so Mm -hmm. along the lines of what angela was saying often not often fortunately but sometimes you you meet someone who's been through something that you couldn't even fathom and you can't it's hard to imagine yourself in that situation because it's so far disconnected from the experiences that you've had how does empathy work in a situation like that 
That's a really good question. <laughs> I mean, I, I could give an example of something. Yeah, sure. that happened with me. And so, um, yeah, one of my previous um, workplaces, um, being one of the only colored persons um, in, in the staff. And so going into meetings and just different experiences, right? Different experiences of um, trying to speak up or having an opinion and uh, being overlooked or only being seen. So in one of the meetings, um, just asking everyone's opinion around um, educational curriculum and things like that and trying to speak and not being heard. Um, but when it came to sort of um, uh, conversations around culture um, or belonging or um, diversity, all of a sudden I was put at the center of all the conversations and oh, <laughs> all of a sudden yeah. being asked to represent voices of yeah. all colored people <laughs> yeah. um, while all I can share is my experience um, and who I am as Anshu and not for all brown people or all South Asians. Right. So that happens yeah. quite a bit. And so I remember talking to one of my, um, one of my coworkers who was my friend and a really good person, such a great relationship um, with her. And so going to her and just confiding in her, right. And mm -hmm. telling her my experience and saying, you know, we both sit in the same meetings and these are some of my experiences. And I remember, she, of course, she she cares for me and she's got my back and things like that. But, you know, what I heard, so she what she said to me was, and she, I think they're just difficult people. I don't know if it has anything to do with, with your race, right? And right. so I remember taking a step back. And of course, it felt hurtful because, again, she was hearing me, but not quite believing me yes. um and so so there is she's sort of an ally in that aspect that i can i feel comfortable enough to go be vulnerable and share that experience uh, but not in the allyship where i can say hey she believes me and um can you help me can you support me through this because she's mm. sitting at a place of privilege at that point right um and so um, I remember we had, we had to have a few conversations around that, you know, and just let her know and say, I said, well, next time, I just want you to observe, um, how they speak to you and when they speak to me around the same topics and the same conversations. And I remember, um, a couple weeks later, one of the coworkers, uh, coming up to me and they were having an event that I, uh, didn't have a lot to do with. And so they needed someone to make lemonade, uh, for the parents coming in and things like that. And so I'm sitting in a room and it's me and two other coworkers and the person comes in and looks at me <laughs> and the other two people are organizing the events, but looks at me and asks me if I can make lemonade for the events. And so again, not thinking too much into it, um, it left me pretty uncomfortable. Right. And mm -hmm. so I remember yeah. that's when uh, my coworker, a friend that I had confided in stepped in and said, Oh, I can do that. Cause that's, mm -hmm. this is my event that I'm organizing. But again, after that, we had a conversation. I said, did you notice that I was the only colored person there? And so the reflex there was to ask me to do something around that task, right? When it made more sense for someone else who was part of the event to do that. And so anyway, so that's one of my experiences. And I think yeah. there's so many around that where I think it's so um, unconsciously um, that's there as well. And so, so in that, I felt like there was a real allyship happening there with empathy. And I felt like she could really step in there and and be part of that. Yeah. It takes strength to open up and say, listen, this is what I need. Like, I appreciate you trying to solve the problem and, and, and I love you for it, but this is actually what I needed. And then to see it grow from there and what it changes to it, uh, often 
again, I'm speaking for myself. I'll stop there. I'll say, oh, that wasn't what I wanted. And then I'll just stew on it by myself in my room <laughs> for weeks instead of saying something about it. How do you get people to open up in that way to say, to actually ask for what they need, I guess? Mm-hmm. I think just ask. I think it's all about that invitation piece and asking for that permission piece. And since then, we've had more conversations around that. And, you know, at one point she came to me and she apologized and she said, I'm sorry, I didn't, I haven't experienced life how you have, and I'm not able to walk in your shoes, but she's, she recognized um, that my experience was valid. It was different than hers. And, and like, yeah, I was, I was like, yeah, I love you. I know that you care for me and I, I know that you want to be there for me. But sometimes I think we just don't see things that have been happening for a long time or mm-hmm. where we, where we can sort of sit comfortably. Right. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, I think to keep having the conversations, I think not to be discouraged because sometimes it takes a few, few experiences or a few conversations and sometimes really difficult ones to, um, to keep sort of diving into it a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Anshu, I love your story. I just want to jump in and say thank you for sharing because um, what an example of courage, right? Yeah. To be able to have that conversation and to be able to even challenge back mm-hmm. in a loving way mm-hmm. and say, um, you know, this idea of, I know you you heard me, but I don't know if you believe me. And mm-hmm. Angela, I think that goes to your point, right? Is how do you empathize with someone when you've never had that experience yourself? And uh, I truly think it's you. You don't have to understand it to to practice empathy. Mm. You don't. You, it, if it's not your lived experience, you you don't have to. Um, you know, really understand it. I mean, for I can say for myself, even um, you know, leaning more into the stories of people from the LGBTQ two plus two S plus communities. I don't have that lived experience, but when someone tells me that. You know, if they're walking with their partner in public and holding hands and they get, you know, looks cast at them. I've never had that experience and I don't understand why they should be experiencing that. I don't think that's Mm -hmm. right and all of these things, but I still understand the pain or I I empathize with that pain that they're feeling in that moment. And so, yeah, I love that question, Angela, because it is that ability to imagine what someone else might be going through, even if you don't necessarily share that same lived experience or understand it. Totally. Yeah. I, I got, thanks guys both for the answer that that's, that's a really, uh, uh, that's a lot to think about. And I, okay. Two things. I like the idea of, even if she didn't believe you just being able to hear with an open mind and act on the message that you were saying, it's like later she was able to maybe see more than what she could have without having that open mind or that message, having received that message. So, you know, for, for you both to be that open to, to hear each other out. I wonder like if there's a level of people are, okay, if, if I have to believe you, just, I have no, it doesn't match my reality. Uh, I've never cast looks at anybody, so I can't imagine anybody else <laughs> cast look at others. You know, like it's the, I think a lot of people like, connect that way. It's like you're talking about me. Um, does, does, is the fear that if I accept your reality without having lived it, that somehow that invalidates my reality? Like, do you think that's somewhere behind the scenes, the, the fear that people experience to just take what you're saying and believe you, that it somehow goes against themselves to do that? Mm, good question. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think there's definitely fear there and um, it feels uncomfortable because at some, 
at some point we have to sort of, we're also facing some of our biases and our prejudices and um, the way we see things and hear things. And I think, yeah, there's always, it's scary. It can be scary. And we've all been socialized and, and, you know, um, lived in this world and seen it and, and I think being able to see, hear, and feel with somebody else and not have our um, sort of seeing, hearing, and feeling be part of it, I think, yeah, I think it's tough because we live in such an individualistic culture too, right? North American culture is so um, heavy on that. So moving more towards sort of um, into that collective space can sometimes feel really uncomfortable because I think we're just, it's just unfamiliar. And even this idea of uh, those fears being the root, I believe they are at the root of, uh, you know, injustice and bias and oppression and, uh, you know, all of the isms that we see in the world, because there's this notion that I think that drives that, which is it's a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if I accept their reality and if they now start to advance in life because society's more welcoming to them, well, does that mean that I'm going to lose my standing in society? And does that mean that I have to give up my privilege? And instead of thinking of this pie as something that can grow and, and be bigger for, for all of us, I think we tend to get caught in this mindset of, well, if, if they're getting two slices, that's two less slices for me, yeah. right? So I think that fear really is just human nature, unfortunately, <laughs> or, mm-hmm. right? It, that, it, that drives that, but the more level of consciousness that we can all raise and build, not just individually, but I'm sure to your point, we are an individualistic kind of society. But mm-hmm. as we start to shift that consciousness into the collective, mm-hmm. I think it starts to uh, shift things. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I had a flashback as you guys were answering those questions to a previous guest we had on who was talking about a similar topic. And how um, it was specific to how black kids are treated in the United States. And, and she said, she said it really fast. I don't know how many people caught it, but she said, I'm in the, I'm in the category of shut up and listen. It's not my job to go and educate. It's not my job to fix the problem. I need to just stop talking and listen and understand. I'm curious to know what you guys think of that. I think it's spot on. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's it's so spot on. It's mm-hmm. yeah, this idea of just I just need if especially if we find ourselves in in the place where we have the privilege, right? That mm-hmm. society is afforded to us. Uh, and yeah. I just define privilege as sort of sort of unearned advantages um that just by virtue of our identity that we we've gained, right? And yeah. especially if we're in that position, I think the job is to shut up and listen mm-hmm. <laughs> and not try to jump in there with our own thoughts and ideas uh, without having fully listened oh. and fully uh, having come to an informed opinion on the topic. So mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. agree. I think it's a lifelong thing. And I was just, mm-hmm. I just wanted to add to that. I think, you know, and I think it's around this belief, this foundational belief, like I do trauma informed coaching. And so the big overarching foundation is to know that people are the experts in their lives. And so we are never the ones to go provide solutions. We're never the ones fixing the problems. We're there to say, hey, how can I help you? Because you know exactly what you're doing. You know what you've been through. You've, you've got strengths. You've, you've got resilience. And so asking for that permission and that invitation is such a big piece there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the examples that you mentioned of the videos, mental health was like, how, how is this mental health and empathy uh, connect? 
in your experience maybe yeah. maybe in your own experience and or like uh, from talking with others about the topic yeah i think just leading just leading with compassion there and i think empathy just i think you know i talk about this all the time even with my classes and workshops i think just recognizing our our systems and our socialization has a has an old habit of sort of blaming the individual um and so taking a step back and recognizing that you know our systems are a lot more responsible than i think we recognize and so having compassion for the individual um you know and recognizing that blaming doesn't get far people only can choose with what limited choices they're given and so when we talk about mental health we talk about addictions we talk about some of these really um big challenges um that we we all have witnessed or have indirectly been impacted by or directly been impacted by and so uh just recognizing that we we just stop this process of shaming and blaming and really working towards uh shifting our systems and asking why our systems aren't supporting and building into folks that are already suffering instead of creating more and more blame um and more and more of that push yeah it just bothers me a lot sometimes just hearing people say things like well you know that's what they chose that's what they're doing and so um i think this really needs to shift around this mentality of choice and recognizing um where we all stand in privileges and um how our systems are created to sort of keep the hierarchies going and the status quo going that doesn't um give a whole lot of room for equity building and supports for folks that are um suffering already i love that and true I, i think the idea of moving from an in an individual to a system lens is absolutely sort of even in the realm of what i do as well so i I'm currently working on for one of my clients a policy project on helping youth in Canada um achieve better outcomes of financial economic inclusion and one of the biggest findings through stories that we collected from the youth was uh this idea of, of victim shaming right like mm-hmm. you know they can't get a job cuz they're lazy that's just their generation they you know they are entitled and they're lazy and that's why they're not getting a job and how do we shift that narrative to say there's actually systemic things that are going on uh in society at large that are creating these barriers that are consistently keeping youth from achieving these outcomes of financial success and let's look at those root causes and try and approach from an empathetic angle solutions to fixing those root causes rather than just telling the individual it's your fault you know you're lazy so suck it up right mm-hmm. so it's how do you strike that balance and i think empathy plays a huge role especially from as a storyteller when i start to build an amalgamate sets of stories then i really now start to see the trends and patterns and repetitive sort of themes that come up around systemic issues and that's where i think this idea of like you know it's you're not alone you're not broken is so important because oftentimes as individuals we get stuck in our particular situations and think well it's something that i'm doing that that's why it's not working well actually no um maybe there's something maybe part of it is something that i'm doing but it's also larger forces that are sort of invisible to me that are playing a factor in this right so yeah i think that is sort of the link to to mental health but also other things in life mhm it's a interesting perspective and i wanted to ask i guess where does the if it's a systemic issue which i believe it is where does 
an individual focus like it's it seems like such a mountain of a mm-hmm. of a thing to accomplish where does one best put their effort and energy especially as I'll speak for myself again a white privileged individual where is that energy most useful i guess where do i where do we direct that Oh, I love that question too. Question. <laughs> yeah, because it is. It's overwhelming, right? Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. um I mean, I'd say Trevor, like from my perspective, I'd say just build into your friendships and into people and mm-hmm. in your community. Start there, people that you know that you do life with. Um and we'd be surprised as to how many things um about our family and friends and community and acquaintances and neighbors right um speak of what they're going through and what their challenges and so even just creating spaces to listen to them and to ask them how they really are um mm-hmm. and um yeah and building compassion in that place and i think we of course there's spaces to challenge our systems and um to speak to our authority figures and to hold accountability and build responsibility but honestly i do think the biggest piece that is in our control and um is is what we have control over and so I talk a lot about even just connection to ourselves is where it sort of begins doing our own healing, doing our own awareness piece, our own ownership, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. And then of course, having that um, be a ripple effect into our everyday conversations with people we already know um, and a community that we're already sort of doing life with. It's where our rooting and grounding is occurring. So and I, I would also say, Angela and Trevor, both of you are already doing this, like even just recording this mm-hmm. podcast together and you giving us this space to hear our stories and share our voice and amplify our voices. That mm-hmm. is, I think, a true example of, uh, of allyship, right? And that is one way of utilizing the privileges that you have to support someone else and to be able to build your own capacity to understand a different perspective maybe than ones that you normally get to interact with in your day-to-day lives. So this in itself is an example of that, right? And sometimes when we look at this overwhelming sort of mountain, what we need to climb, it, it's easy to, like Ancha said, get lost in, and mm-hmm. like, oh, is this really making a difference? But I really believe that it's the smallest things that we do, just like what we're doing right now that make a difference. So mm-hmm. I just want to say thank you for, for doing that uh-huh. for us. Well, thank you guys thank for doing you. it. Yes. Do, you guys are doing all the work. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. We're all doing it Actually, together. We're all doing it together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'd also include the listeners in that because uh, I, I hear often how their experiences, like people who reach out to us to give us comments on, on the episodes, that how they connect to people and their stories. And often it's surprising for to them which ones they connect to because it's not necessarily one that aligns perfectly with their own story and so it's it's cool to see how we learn from each other's stories and mm-hmm. i i guess you've you've had tons of uh, more experience maybe than us on with that but uh about the book landed i think i wanted to hear about how that came to be because it's it's uh it's right on topic me too yeah so well thank you for um bringing up landed because landed book reading is actually part of empathy week i believe it's happening june 6th um and unlikelyfriends.ca will have all of those details on when it happens but yeah the book landed came about literally because i uh i was doing these workshops so i'm trained and certified in a method of storytelling called guided autobiography 
And just as I was describing what I do at companies and, and workplaces, I was doing these workshops to help people use storytelling as a way to build that trust and respect and a culture of belonging. And what I would see would be that the stories shared were incredible and oftentimes um, because of the limits of confidentiality, they would only get shared within the circle that people were, were sharing them, right? So there was really no opportunity to let the world know and hear about these great stories. And simultaneously, I was also volunteering on the board of the Calgary Immigrant Women's Association. And it literally just started as an idea or a hunch for me that I had that the stories of immigrant women aren't known as broadly and um, the value and the contributions that they bring to the prosperity of Canada isn't known as broadly and also the challenges. And I got to see a different angle, just being a board member on CIWA that I quickly realized that, Hey, I want, I want to start a project in the community. I do a lot of stuff corporately, but I also want to do keep doing stuff in the community because as a social enterprise, this is part of my mission as well to reinvest back in the communities. So I was very fortunate to uh, receive a grant from Calgary Arts Development to run workshops in the community. So uh, we put out a call for applications and much to my surprise, we received such an overwhelming amount of responses from people in the community who said, yes, I want to write my story and have it published in a book and leave a legacy and just wow. so many people. Um, and we also opened up the criteria. So we said, uh, anyone who identifies as a woman or non-conforming gender, who is first or second generation, so born in Canada to immigrant parents, uh, and uh, any different type of immigration pathway. So whether that be refugees or skilled workers or international students, um, no matter what pathway you use to get here, or if you were born in Canada, we want to hear your stories. And so many people applied. We had to turn away some, unfortunately, just because we had a oh my cap as to how many we could we could take into these workshops. So went through the process of workshops, and then um, we had everybody's you know about thousand word sort of personal reflection on uh, what it means for them to be Canadian, what it means to be um, you know having a home here in Canada, but also having a home somewhere else in the world and what mm -hmm. that journey was like, what it was like to kind of persevere and find their sense of belonging, find their sense of becoming um, and, and their pride and joy for Canada, but also what were the barriers and challenges. Mm -hmm. So it was very, very uh, emotional, <laughs> I would say, but very touching, authentic, personal lived experiences. And I'm just so grateful for the courage of all the storytellers too, because it does take courage to share your story in that way yeah. right so so yeah after the workshops we got all those stories and went through this whole rigorous process of uh, editing publishing uh, I think Trevor you know because you're a, you're an author yourself mm -hmm. and uh and then launched it out into the world last September and the reception has been so positive so unbelievably um, optimistic for me to see because I had no idea how as a first-time author these things turn out but it it was just validating to see that there is such an interest in this topic and it makes sense, right? I think the stat is like one in four in Canada are immigrants and just this idea that of not really knowing in depth these stories of yeah. you know, how someone came to be here. And I think that has really attracted people, even non-immigrants to the book. And I've, I've had so many listeners, or sorry, not listeners, but uh, readers tell me that it's opened their eyes and it's given them such a um, more in-depth appreciation for the journeys that immigrants have and how diverse that is, how it's not monolithic, 
right? So yeah, um, so yeah, that's how Landed came to be about. And then now what we do is we just do book readings uh, at various book clubs and, and organizations and community events. So I, I invite a couple of my co-authors and we read a section from our book and then we launch into a discussion on some of the themes, uh, empathy being a big one, but also what does it mean to belong? What is belonging? Mm-hmm. Um, what does it mean to um, have belonging, uh, that sense of belonging in two, two countries and, and maybe sort of like reconciling that identity piece of us that uh, had to leave one country to come to another country. What does it mean to live in two cultures when you're born in Canada to immigrant parents who are still sort of very rooted in their old traditions? Um, and yet you caught, you, you know, you feel like you're caught between two worlds. So all these sorts of topics we, we delve into in these book readings and uh, it's a, it's a really fun process. So yeah, that's wow. a little bit about landed. It sounds amazing. How many authors did you end up with after all so of that? We have 37 authors from 30 countries around the world. Holy oh, cow. Amazing. Good work. I have to read it. So <laughs> for anyone wondering, the book is titled <laughs> Landed Transformative Stories of Canadian Immigrant Women. And it's on Amazon and Indigo now. So Wow. Good for you. I just wanted to repeat kind of the details of Empathy Week and the Unlikely Friends Project. Do you mind Do you mind just sharing that? Like, which week is it? It's in June, right? It's in June, yeah. June um, okay. 1st to 7th. And is this a place that people come to or is it online? Or? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Yeah, so they're happening in different um, spaces around the city. So in-person events. Okay. So we've got Conversation Cafe um, happening at Community Wise location. Uh, we've got Stephen Ave um, location for the interactive tell story. So it's it's sort of all over the city. We wanted to do that okay. intentionally, um, and we wanted to um, just really honor the autonomy of the folks that are already doing the empathy work. And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then of course online, we've got links and things like that. We've got so we've got it over all of our social media. So my social media. Um, for fill your jar and then um beyond our image for shannon and then studio lumen for um jillian and jean mark and so so it's going to be all over in those platforms with all the details and all of that we'll be sure to link to all of these (laughs) i think it's a it's a very cool project and i wanted to take just the last minute to say thank you to you both thank you for the work that you've done in the community and bringing just bringing awareness to all of these things that that don't really get talked about much. It's nice to see they do get talked about more than I thought, though. And it's it's thanks to you guys for doing that work. And thank you again for coming on. Or we need to get you both separately for a full-length <laughs> podcast interview. Yes, please. Because 60 Minutes was just enough to make me want more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for coming by. I think we opened up, like so many more questions that we would like it's just so tempting even just from the last minute talking about landed that uh yeah we we have to continue but thank you a ton for making time for this thank you for having us it was such a wonderful thank you for having us